the verses that we're going to look at today bring up some theological points that relate directly to what's happening right now in the Middle East. The, the war there in the Middle East with Israel and, and Hamas and Palestine and all that's going on there. I also want you to know, I didn't pick these verses because of what's going on in the world right now. This is just one of those times when you work your way through passages of Scripture and you get to one and you think, you know what, I don't really have to come up with an opening illustration today. Like if you've seen anything that's going on in the world around us, these verses relate to this. I also want you to know these are theological mountains, and, and they can be theological landmines, and there can be all kinds of controversy. The, the, the purpose this morning is not to be controversial about worldwide events. It's to say what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my life, what's happening in, my, in, in our church. How can we know more about what God's Word has to say about these things? So just to get us going in the right direction this morning, because this is important to do, I want us to pray about that conflict that's happening in, in the Middle East. I want us to pray that our hearts will be prepared for God's word this morning, that we would know more about the theology of Scripture, more about how we understand the relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so as we get started this morning, would you, would you pray with me as we get started? Father, as we... As we come together this morning, we are reminded what Scripture says, that we are able to have peace with you through Jesus Christ. God, we live in a world where there's so much tension. There, there's tension in our homes, in our marriages, among friendships. We, we understand what it looks like to live in a world where relational conflict and tension happens. And then we see that on a, on a global scale, and, and we see the violence that comes from that. And Father, we know from Scripture that Christ came to bring your peace into the world as people would turn to you and find peace and hope. And Christ also came, and through his peace, he breaks down these walls of division among peoples. And God, we pray for those right now who are being affected by this war, the vulnerable, the hostages, those who are suffering and struggling. And God, we pray for those in places of leadership, that they would have wisdom to know how to find a way forward, how to find peace for Jerusalem, peace for the people involved, peace that people would turn and know that ultimate peace is found in Jesus. And so, God, as we look at Scripture this morning, help us to know how the Old Testament, the Old Covenant relates to the New Testament, and help us to understand what that means for our lives and for our families and for our churches. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start this place. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 18 through 19. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. I want to start with these two verses this morning. It says in verse 18, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, in verse 19, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So you have verse 18 that says, on one hand, it was like this before, speaking of the Old Covenant, the, the Old Testament there, the law in verse 18. And then verse 19 says, but on the other hand, there's this better hope that is going to come with the New Covenant. And so immediately in these verses, you see both sides. You see the contrast that is set up. If you got the sermon notes as you were coming in, if you got that piece of paper, on one side is a chart actually two different charts. Uh, I put this in front of you, hoping you'll do a couple of things with it, okay? As we go through here, 
you're going to see certain connections between the old and the new. Places where you're like, oh, that's kind of the same. It, this happened in the old and this happened in the new. You might want to make a few notes about that. You're going to see a ton of contrast. This is what happened in the old. This is what happened in the new. So I put that in front of you because I think it's a great learning tool. It's something that you would use in your own Bible study, in your own Sunday school classes. I'm going to be straight with you from the very beginning. I'm probably going to move a little faster through this than you're going to feel comfortable writing all this down. So before you get frustrated at me about that reality, you have that paper so you can go home and fill in the blanks yourself. Like you can go home, you can open up your Bible, read through these verses. Oh yeah, this happened in the old, this happens in the new, and I learn as I go through that. But what we're trying to do this morning is we're trying to see where does the old covenant and the old testament connect with the new and how is the old different than the new? And as I was thinking about this reality and this idea of where it says that it was set aside because it was weak and useless, I'm trying to think through an illustration. So here we go. We're going to attempt an illustration this morning. I can't imagine how this would go wrong, but let's give it a shot and see what happens. Look at this bad boy that I found. All right. Now... Was told I had a, a power strip up here, which I do. All right. This is where your sermon notes are going to be next week. All right. So you need to get ready here. Moment of truth. Moment of. Hey, my favorite part about this on the side right here, college ministry, Jaron Young. All right. That lets you know how long. I'm, I'm, digging, I'm digging through a closet this week at, at church trying to find some things, and I look down, and it's like there's this beautiful angelic light that just says sermon illustration, like right there on the side that, that I found. So, Oh, man, look at that. Didn't you miss these things? Wasn't it so much better? You know, you could have that up there. And then remember the teacher, like when we were, we were doing this? So, uh, all right, students, take, take notes. Boom, look at that. Like that, that's fantastic. Now, can you imagine going from this right here to that up there? You know, which, which one's better? Don't answer because it'll mess up the illustration, okay? Don't answer which is better. There's some of you that are nostalgic for the past. You love the past. We've often joked around at church that we need a room that's just called like the church museum all these things that you use through the years, you know, that you could put up there, your flannel board and your, your overhead projector and things like that, and then all the new things. Because we know what will happen one day. That's going in the museum as well. Like, we're going to look back one day and think, man, that was so archaic and so old. You have something that's old, and it has its purpose for a while. This was fantastic. Think about the days of the green chalkboard and the actual chalk. And how cool it was when it was your job to take the erasers outside and bang them against the wall or knock the erasers together. You guys don't know what a great moment this was in school when it was your chance to take the erasers and knock them off and make the chalk fly everywhere. And then you had the whiteboard. And then you have this. And then you have this. And now they've already moved to digital walls. And, and who knows what will happen next. You see these things. Something is old. It becomes useless and weak. Not because it wasn't amazing when it was in existence, but because it wasn't ultimately going to fulfill the purpose that was in front of it. it. It had its time, and then it moved on. And we think about this tension between old and new. Okay, this lamp's probably going to burn out, plus it's in my way, so 
say goodbye to the, uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. That's going to get really awkward if it was stuck on. Um, let me get my illustration out of the way here. If you guys need to borrow that for your house for any reason, let me know. It's, a, it's available. Okay, so here's the point. Here's the point. We have this tension between old and new. We have these connections between old and new. The old is called up here weak and useless. And you're like, oh, man, that's talking about the old covenant, the Old Testament. How do we understand this? Okay, jump down to verse 27 in chapter 7. Look down in verse 27. Hebrews 7, 27. Speaking of Jesus, talking about how he is coming to bring the new covenant as the great high priest, a better covenant, Jesus has no need like those high priests. Which high priests? The ones under the old covenant who offered the sacrifices under the old covenant. Those high priests, they had to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, these high priests in the old covenant, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins because they were sinful. And then for those of the people, since Jesus, he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So think about your chart in front of you, or if you don't have a chart in front of you, if you just kind of think of how this works. In the old category, you have these priests who, they're sinners themselves. And so they have to offer sacrifices. And how often do they have to offer these sacrifices? Every day. And then in the right column, under the new covenant, how many sacrifices are offered? One. Once for all. And what type of sacrifice is offered under the new covenant? It's not a bull or a goat or a bird. It is Jesus himself, the Son of God, come in the flesh, who gives himself as a sacrifice. Verse 28. Verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. So in the left column, I have the law, I have men, and I have weakness. What does it mean that they're weak? It just means they die. They're not perfect. They make mistakes. Their life comes to an end. However, but, right column, the new covenant, the word of the oath, so a promise from God, it came later than the law, and it appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So in the right column, I have the word of God that speaks of a son, not just men, but a son who would come and make us perfect forever. Chapter 8, let's keep this going. We're going to have to speed up just a touch, but you get the idea. We've got our old covenant and our new covenant. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Those are always great comments. They kind of lead us in. Middle of verse 1. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So this new covenant is not happening in an earthly tent. It's happening in a heavenly place. Verse 3. For every high priest, so we're back to the old covenant, every high priest under the old covenant is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest, speaking about Jesus, the new covenant priest, it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So you're like, well, I haven't written anything in the top chart about connections. Well, here's a connection. The old covenant 
the priest had to offer something. And the new covenant is connected in the sense that there had to be a priest, and the priest had to offer something. Verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, speaking of Jesus, he would not be a priest at all. There are already priests on earth taking care of those things. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Verse 5. Pay attention to verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So the old covenant, how is the old covenant described? It's described as a copy and a shadow. So so not the real thing, not the ultimate thing. The old covenant, the left column, is a copy and a shadow. Middle of verse 5. For when Moses was about to set up the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. That word for pattern is the idea of this type, T-Y-P-E, the type, the ultimate picture of what God's heavenly, holy place is going to be about. What do we know about the earthly tabernacle, the earthly tent? It's a copy and a shadow of the true heavenly, holy place. Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates. This new covenant is better since it is enacted on better promises. Oh man, don't miss this in the right column. Okay, this goes under the the new covenant column. What's the contrast? It is based on better promises. If you haven't been with us through our study in the book of Hebrews, over the book of Hebrews, you can essentially write the heading, Jesus is better. And that takes care. It gets you going the right direction for for the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better than, than Adam and better than the angels, and better than Moses, and better than Joshua, better than Abraham, better than the high priest, better than the old priestly system, and he has better promises, meaning you can trust him. You know that what he says is true. It's going to happen. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, if the old projector, the bulb never burned out, or nothing ever went wrong on it, or you never needed a power supply. If the old projector had been perfect, you wouldn't need another one. It would have been perfectly fine for all of time, but it wasn't. Things happened. It would go wrong. You needed something different. You needed something else to come. It wasn't faultless. If, there, if it had been faultless, there would have been no reason, no occasion to look for a second one. Verse 8, for he, speaking of God, finds fault with them speaking back to the second or the, i mean speaking back to the first covenant he finds fault with them or finds fault with that first covenant saying this behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will establish a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah i don't know if you're looking at your uh the bible on your phone if this works or not but if you're looking at a hard copy of the bible Starting in verse 8 and going all the way down to verse 12, you're going to see that the font looks different or it's set in in some way. What's happening is from verse 8 to verse 12 is an Old Testament quotation from Jeremiah 31. So what the author is doing, what the preacher is doing here, is he's going back to the Old Covenant. Now here's the connection. This is fascinating. He's going to tell you about a new and better covenant that's going to come 
But how does he tell you that the new covenant is going to come? He goes back to the old covenant and draws out this scripture that already in the old covenant said there's something new coming. This is not ultimate. There's something better that's going to come. And so you begin this quote. Look in verse 9. What happens in the verse 9? This new covenant, it's not going to be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So when God brings his people out of Egypt in the Exodus, and he takes them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the covenant, this new covenant that comes is not going to be like that one. Verse 10, or middle of verse 9. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. I moved on to what was next. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. That seems like an important important phrase like this is the covenant this is the new covenant that I'm going to make this is the right column in your chart what covenant is God going to make that's new I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts the laws are not going to be written on stone tablets the laws are going to be written on the hearts and minds of his people I will be their God and they shall be my people all the people who have the law of God written on their heart they will be considered part of the people of God. Verse 11, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Under the old covenant, you had to go through priests. You had to go through teachers of the law in order to access the truth of God. In the new covenant, that truth is coming right to you. And it comes to every person. It doesn't matter your family background. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you're old or young. The truth of God is given directly to us. We don't have to go through another human in order to access God. We go through Jesus Christ. He is our access to God. He is the way we're able to know the truth of God's word. And so we don't have to have other people who have superiority over us in the new covenant in the same way. Where are we at? Verse 12. In the new covenant... I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Then verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete? What, what has reached the end of its time? This thing is growing old and is ready to vanish and pass away. Put away the old projector. Put away the jean shorts, like those are passing away. That's, that's obsolete, okay? That, that time has come. There's something new. There's something better that's coming. This tension between the old covenant and the new covenant. If you start to spend a few minutes thinking about this old covenant, new covenant reality, you're going to start coming up with a ton of questions like, oh, hey, Owen, what about this? And what does this mean about this? And how does it connect to this? Ask those questions. Those are good questions. What I would love to do for you this week, when I send out my church-wide email, if you don't get that church-wide email, use the QR code in front of you or the little old-school Connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. What I'll do in my email this week is I'll send you some resources. If you want to kind of go to the next level, investigating, thinking through this relationship between the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Covenant, New Testament, I want to put some of that in front of you because there's a lot of things that we need to think, think through on this topic. Here's what I want to do this morning, though. If you take your note sheet and you flip it over, what I want to do in our remaining time this morning is I want to preach through 
three dangers that we need to be aware of in the relationship between the old and the new. If you don't have this in front of you, no big deal. It's going to be up on the screen in a second. You've got the three dangers, and then I want to take you to where the new covenant takes us. I want you to hold on to say, I've never thought about this before, but as Christians, we are going to gather together to say we are new covenant people, and I just want to help you know what that means. So we're going to look at three dangers when we think about the relationship between old and new, and then we're going to land the plane on this is what it means. This is why the new covenant matters for my life. Okay, let me find my notes. Danger number one is what we're going to call living without the old covenant. Um, This view embraces too much discontinuity, I should practice that word, too much discontinuity, too much disconnect. We believe that the Bible is a unified, unified story that leads to Jesus. This view doesn't see the Bible as a unified story. And you might be thinking, okay, Owen, what in the world do you mean here? This danger is the danger of people who say, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. <laughs> We've got Jesus We've got the New Testament part of the Bible. The gospel has come. Jesus has come. We're going to use a phrase that's kind of become semi-popular in in Christian subculture here. Some people just say we need to like unhitch from uh, from the Old Testament or do away with the Old Testament. This is the view that can become very anti-Semitic. This is the view that says the new has come. So the people of Israel, the Old Testament, that can be left behind. And I'm here to say that is not the path we're going down. As the people of God, the old covenant is so valuable and so beautiful, not not only because of how it prepares us for for the coming of Jesus, but don't let anybody ever tell you that the Old Testament God was mad and angry all the time, and the New Testament God is happy and loving all the time, and there's somehow two gods. There's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. Friends, that is not Christianity. That is not the path that we are going down. There is one God who's existed for all of time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who he is does not change. And we see that power, and we see that beauty in the Old Covenant, and we are thankful that there is a new covenant to come. And so some people are the type of people, every time the new iPhone comes out, they're like, I I need the new iPhone. Every time a new update comes out, I need the new update. Every time a new fashion comes out, I need the new fashion. Some people could care less about the past. They could care less about old school sports or the greatest generation, and they're just always looking toward the new. Be careful. Be careful. We value the old. (laughs) We value the Old Testament. We value the history of the church. We value our older friends in church. If you want to identify as an older friend in church, we value you wherever that line is drawn. We value the old because we see God's plans at work, and that's a beautiful thing. So we are not going to divide the old and new. Okay, danger number two. Danger number two is living under the old covenant. Now this view embraces too much continuity, too much connection. This is a view that says essentially we need to somehow maintain all the Jewish laws and all the Jewish identity And if you begin to go down this path, you start to reach the question of, well, then why did Jesus come? (laughs) Like, if, if we only needed the old, why did the new come? And this is the type of view that we have to be careful of because... Where, where it leads, if I can just be honest with you, it leads to legalism. That's where it leads. 
it leads down a path that says you need to have these rules and you need to obey these laws and you need to have this identity and you need to do all these things. And before you know it, we're living under the old covenant and we're missing that Jesus has come. That the Bible is a unified story that leads us where? It leads us to Jesus. And if we just stop in the old and never make it to in the new, we miss the good news. We miss where this whole story was going. And so do we value our Jewish identity and background? We do in the sense that we see that all of God's people have been grafted into the Jews, that, that the hope that we have is because of God's work through the Jewish people through the years. But friends, we stand as Christians. We stand Jews and Gentiles united in Christ. And so we're not going to live under the old. You know, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but this is the people that are mad about the pitch clock in baseball because they think it always should be in the past. Like, whatever was old was good. We should live in the old days, the good old days. This is the danger that everything good was in the good old days, and we miss the new things that God's doing. We miss the way God's at work right here. And so you have some people that are all about the new, and you have some people that are all about the old, and we're saying God does his best work when we see old leading to new. Danger number three. Danger number three is looking beyond the new covenant. So this view embraces an incomplete process. So here's what the person says. And you may, if you're here this morning and hearing some of this for the first time, this might be a comment or, or something you would think about. This is the view that says, well, there was a first covenant, and there's a second covenant, so is there a third covenant? Like, is there something else coming after Jesus? This is the viewpoint that says, that's great that you have the Bible, but let me tell you about this other scripture. Let me tell you about this other book. Uh, that's great that you believe that Jesus was a prophet, and he came as a teacher, and he, he did all these things, but let me tell you about this next prophet that was going to come. Let me tell you about this next Messiah that was going to come. That's not Christianity either. Because we believe that the Bible is this unified story that points us where? To Jesus. Not to Jesus then to lead somewhere else, but to Jesus as the one who has come to give life and truth and hope, and all of God's plans find their fulfillment there. And so we're not looking around thinking, oh, that's cool, I know about Jesus, now I'm going to chase after something else. No, no, no. It was all leading there, and we, as his people say, because of Jesus, we have hope. Because of Jesus, the new covenant has come. These are the last days. You're like, okay, right now the last days? No, we've been in the last days since Jesus came. That he came as God's final word, as God's final word of salvation and truth and hope, and so we look to Jesus which means this. What's the new covenant all about? What I want you to go home doing today, I want you to go home embracing the better hope that comes from the new covenant in Jesus. Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8 in your Bible are designed to tell you embrace the better hope, the better promises that come because of the new covenant that's established in Jesus. What is that new covenant? Well, the laws of God are internalized. The law of God, the truth of God is working in our lives because of the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to take this to the next level, go home this afternoon and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
That's going to be your reference point. That's going to be your next spot to go on this reality that the truth of God is at work in my life. Why does that matter? That the laws of God are internalized because we are transformed from the inside out. I know you guys get tired of me saying this in Emmaus, but let me say it again. We will refuse to be a church that wants to look good on the outside and everything's a mess on the inside. We're not doing that. Like that, that is not the type of people we want to be. We believe that God does what? He changes us on the inside and then the results of that show up in how we live, show up on the outside. But it begins on the inside. The laws of God are internalized. Students, how do I say this in a way that's just most straightforward? We are not asking you to come to church to change your behavior. We want your heart to be changed. We want God to change you from the inside out. You would know how good Jesus is and how good his word is. And it changes you from the inside out. Number two, your relationship with God is personalized. Major point to make here. Notice I did not say individualized. <laughs> personalized, God deals with us on a personal basis to make us part of his people. But he deals with us directly. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through your parents or grandparents. That we are able to know God personally. That that can be true for your life. And number three, forgiveness of sins is eternalized. Is eternalized a word? Absolutely not. Does it end with eyes? Yes, it does. And I feel really good about that, okay? So uh, you're just going to have to deal with that. So the law of God is internalized. It's true inside. Our relationship with God happens at a personal level, that he knows us, we know him, that we have this relationship with him. And because of that, our sins are forgiven forever. And we're going to take the next couple of weeks, because of where the book, he book of Hebrews goes, if you're intrigued by that third point, I hope you are, you're like, tell me more, I look forward to. We're going we're to do that for the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about what that means this morning. Here's the question that I want to end with. Who or what are you relying on for true life? Who or what are you relying on for peace and joy and strength? Who or what are you relying on for eternity? That your hope beyond death, that you would say, where's my hope found? Who or what am I relying on? And I would tell you to look to Jesus that Jesus is better than anything else that we put in front of you. Students, you're going to be tempted to chase after all these things beyond Jesus. We can be tempted to go back before the time of Jesus. We can miss all the good things that God wants to do, and we are simply saying, based on God's word, the new covenant that comes to us through the body and blood of Jesus is so much better. The best thing that you will ever do in your life is you will embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, you have an opportunity to do that, to say, I want to trust in Jesus. I've, I've been relying on trying to do all the right things. I've been trying to rely on my family. I've, I keep looking for everything that's going to bring contentment and satisfaction in life. And this morning, I just want to trust in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you do believe that Jesus is better, we're going to give you a chance to celebrate that together as a church. Would you bow your heads with me? Fathers, we think about the 
relationship between the Old Testament part of our Bible and the New Testament part of our Bible. We know the Old Testament can seem uh, confusing and so ancient and strange at times, and we wonder why do we have so many pages in our Bible about the Old Testament, and then here comes the New Testament. God, help us to know more of how those are meant to fit together. There's so many great connections, but we also know that the Old Testament was not where the story was meant to end. It was always pointing us toward Jesus. And God, I pray if there are people here this morning and they've really been struggling with what they believe about Jesus, do they want to follow Jesus, do they want to worship him, that this morning that they would know that Jesus is better and God, that they would simply turn and put their faith in you. And God, I pray that as a church, that we would know what it is to hold together the old and the new. We would know what it is to point people to Jesus and that this would be a place where our lives are changed from the inside, where people have a personal relationship with God and where they know what it means for their sins to be forgiven. So God, help us to celebrate that together over the next few minutes. And God, let that be true of our lives as we leave. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.